we ended up having an employee that became extremely upset with us. Um, we let him go. He tried to say we were doing illegal stuff. It didn't fly in court. It didn't fly with the, you know, the unemployment or anything else. But we started to worry he was going to take our lives. And I'd never felt like my life was in danger before. But when we would go to work, it was it was very unnerving feeling. And what made it really scary is I didn't know if there was a God in heaven. And if there's not a God, then everything that's happening in the world right now, we're left up to random chance and, and everything depends upon us. And we're prone to whatever decisions those that are gonna make um, that really we can't control, whether they be politicians or business leaders or big pharma or food modifiers. There's no one to look to. And that's pretty terrifying viewing circumstances that way, especially with what's happened now. And that's kind of how I viewed it. My children can die tomorrow and there's nothing I can do. My business could fail. It all depends upon me. And we lived in this area and Houston is a wonderful place. I love Texas, but one of the tough things is it's hard to find a nice area that's not very far from poverty. And whenever you have poverty, you're going to have theft because people are hurting. So one night, one of my neighbors was looking outside and saw a guy standing in her backyard and he just sat and stared at her and smiled. And she picked up the phone to call the police. And while he was, she was doing that, he continued to watch her and he didn't leave for 10 minutes. And then he jumped over the fence because behind us was a field and then there were some very low income apartment complexes. So I became terrified of what was going to happen to my family. I got a concealed weapon. I couldn't sleep at night. One night, I remember I was up and I, I opened my back door to go and check. So I thought I heard something. The moment I opened it, a gunshot went off. And I thought someone was shooting at me. And so I jumped down, but a gunshot had went off across the parking lot. And so for this next little while, I um, I just lived with this you know, feeling that maybe God wasn't real. Maybe everything I've been raised with and thought wasn't real. And it was a very hard time for me. Eventually, the business got to where we could move home. And I was so excited because my dad had been in and out of hospitals for about three years now. And this was 2013. And um, I wanted my kids to be able to uh, be with their father. I had since had a little boy. I won't talk a little bit about my kids in this endeavor, and I won't ever mention their names. I want to keep them as private as possible. This is not about them. I only talk about information that's pertinent or that shows you who I am or that can help people, but him and my little girl are the lights of my life. So we moved back to Utah, and we were so excited for them to be with my dad. And um, I remember I was in the university mall with some friends, and uh, my younger brother called me, Kip, and they'd been to the doctor, and he said, the doctor said, Dad has a year to live, at most. You know, when things like that happen, faith becomes real. You need to know if God's real. Am I going to lose the man who's molded me and taught me and filled me safe, protected? Is he gone forever? Is he not? Because I'm having a faith crisis here, God. And I kind of need you to come and help me and help me to understand if he's there or not. 
And I called him that night and I've never cried so hard. My, my head just pounded for three hours afterwards. And for the next month, we went home. All five of us boys went home to Fillmore. It was an incredible month. I'm not going to share everything that transpired with my father before he died, but he left me with an absolute assurance that God was real and death is not the end. I do not believe those things. I have a knowledge. The day that my dad died, he was on his bed and we were surrounded. And I was kneeling kind of on his chest and I was, uh, you know, he was in and out of coherency and um, I was feeling his pulse on his, on his wrist and finally the pulse stopped and I could tell he was gone. And it was, a, it was a very surreal experience. And, you know, we went through the funeral, we went through everything, and, and, and God certainly lifted us and, and helped us through that time. And I was even able to laugh. And part of that, I, at the time, had felt guilty for, well, I realized it was a necessary coping mechanism, and also God was there with me. So we went through the funeral. You know, once you lose someone, when all of that stuff happens at first, it, it's it's good because it, it serves as maybe a distraction a little bit in, in an incredibly traumatic time. But after all the good wishes go after the funeral and everything, you're left to just mourn. And so we'd moved back to Utah, and I was without my dad, and I went into a deep depression. And I, I remember just... You know, I didn't want to die anymore because I knew it wasn't the end. Um, I knew it wouldn't relieve my pain. And I also, I could never leave, bring myself to leave my two children without a dad. Um, I, I, just, I just couldn't do it. But I remember thinking I wish I could freeze time and just, just not exist for a while. Eventually, I went and I talked to another doctor and I got put on antidepressants again. And it was the same runaround and it was hell. And eventually, I went to another doctor and, uh, you know, he said, you scream ADD. And I got introduced to a drug called Adderall. You know, in high school, I, I didn't like uppers. I'd, I'd, I'd done crystal meth probably 10 times, which wasn't a ton for someone who partied as much as me. But I remember being very nervous about taking it, and I remember voicing it to him and, and, and relaying my history of drug addiction. And, and I think he was good-natured, and I think I could see where he thought I was, and he assured me it'd be okay. I went and got a blessing from my bishop because I was nervous about it and got a promise that, hey, if you don't abuse this stuff and if you, um, if you stay close to God, you'll be okay. And so I got this drug, and uh, it, it was uh, I was at a family reunion, and I remember taking this pill, and within about 20 minutes, it was like, I am incredible. I am amazing. Oh, my, oh I look good. God, if anyone has any, I can fix your problems. I can fix everyone's problems. Like, is this how people feel all the time? Is this what I've been missing my whole life? This is just... 
incredible. And I felt good for about two and a half hours and then I wanted to die because I went through the withdrawal symptoms where anxiety just hit in so hard. Eventually I started to get somewhat used to this drug and you know, I, I the summer came and we moved out to Dallas, Texas because I had some debt I needed to pay back to my partners there and then I was gonna go to my branch in Houston off and on and help run that one as well. Well, I started to realize some things about this new miracle drug of mine. I started to realize, man, if you don't eat, it works a lot better. And I went from a 195 pounds to 135. And a few things the doctor had told me was, you need to work out and get some aerobic exercise for 40 minutes a day, which will help stimulate natural dopamine production, which is with ADD and addiction in large senses, your brain is lacking that. And so I was running 40 minutes a day, and then I was working and knocking doors all day, and I was lifting weights after I would run, so I was burning probably 5,000 calories a day and eating about 300. But the Adderall was giving me enough energy reserves, and at first I started to get cut, and I liked how I looked, and you know, and everyone's like, you're looking good. Well, after a while, everyone started to say, you're, you're starting to look sick. And I was like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. You're jealous. You're jealous. I look wonderful. You look sick. Well, I started to look sick. One night, I was, I was working with a sales rep, and my body started to have these little clicks and twitches that I saw in my father before he died. And I started to think I was going to die. And I went into a full-blown panic attack, the likes of which it's hard for me to explain how scary that was. But I literally felt like I was going to die the next second. And the fear would just run and run and run. So finally we went over to the emergency room. And, you know, first they thought I was lying. They thought I was on drugs. I, and I still hadn't abused Adderall. I hadn't taken more. I was prescribed 40 milligrams a day, which is the recommended dose at the most. Um, and they, I, I just felt like they wouldn't help me, right? And so I was literally trying to destroy equipment in hopes that they would come in and security guys would grab me and pull me down and sedate me because I was suffering so much. And they were like, does your head hurt? And then my head would just start pounding. Can you walk? All of a sudden I couldn't walk. My brain was creating whatever symptom they asked me I had. And I just kept saying to my wife, to them, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And it just felt like the next second I would. Well, finally, after 16 hours of being in that state, I was put in intensive care and put under. The next morning I woke up, I did not feel anxious. I felt something completely different. I felt a very powerful feeling. And at the time, a peaceful feeling. I hadn't looked at pornography one time in my marriage. I hadn't done anything of that sort. But that night, as I was driving home, I, I decided I, I wanted to drive by and got, got certain temptations to go to places that I shouldn't. Well, eventually I got thrown into what's called a manic episode. You know, people may not understand what mania is. People that are bipolar will cycle between depression and mania. The, the DSM, which is, uh, it, it defines and it talks about the characteristics of mental illness, talks about mania and its inability to think about consequences, its hypersexuality, its compulsive spending, 
you lose control. And anything that seems pleasurable, you do. And I won't get into the details of what I've done because the details aren't necessarily important. I want to protect certain people. But I went from being a guy that was very active in my faith and, and being a guy that, you know, was treating people pretty good to within a couple of weeks, I had to spend about $25,000 on my company credit card and all kinds of crazy wild places. And I didn't know how to stop. My family was aware of what was going on and didn't know how to stop me. And, and finally, my brother called me one night and asked me about my kids. I forgot I had kids. I, I went into a psych ward at LDS Hospital in Salt Lake, and they realized I was in mania, but I didn't understand what was going on. And they told me to take some mood stabilizers, and then they released me. Well, I didn't want to take these things because um, I liked how I felt. Well, eventually things got really bad, and uh, I was able to get reached. My my brother reached me, and then my dad's good friend, my state president, who was over a large portion of the church where I was from, talked to me, and I realized I needed to be honest with my wife, and I needed to go to rehab, because at that point I was heavily abusing drugs and spending ridiculous amounts of money. And so she separated which she should have done, and went from Dallas, Texas, back to um, South Carolina, where she's from, and I entered the haven in Salt Lake City. I remember sitting in there thinking, what happened? Two weeks ago, I had a million-dollar business. Uh, I was doing so good. Now my family is uh, separated from me. My marriage is on the rocks. My business partners, understandably, don't know how they're going to continue my business relationship. I'm sitting in rehab. What happened? And I was so disgusted in the things that I had done. I, I, I could not even fathom it because I'm a very loyal person. And I was there for a few weeks and then thought I was good and wasn't good and went back to another one for a couple weeks. And, you know, finally... You know, my poor business partners did not know what to do with me, and I, they did the best they could know possible. And, I, you know, I wasn't in my right mind as I was manic, but I remember reading some of those emails that were so rude to them, and one of them was to my best friend. But it was, it was clear that, you know, at that point, they didn't know what had happened to me. They understood that it wasn't my nature and something was off, but I was at an absolute liability and my feelings were so hurt because I didn't understand everything that I ended up reaching a settlement and I sold the business. And so I was away from my family for 110 days. I saw my daughter's birthday. And I was, I was trying just to be happy to see my little three-year-old girl celebrate without me. My one-year-old boy... The day I left, until four months later, he stopped talking. I remember driving up to see them, and I had so many competing thoughts in my mind. I wanted to go wild. You know, I, I wanted to go sleep with every woman I could and go crazy on drugs, but at the same time, I had a family, and I, I was being pulled in two separate paths. And so I, I pulled up there, and I saw them, my son was too young. He didn't even remember me. 
but my my sweet little girl did. My angel came running to me and put her arms around me and I realized I could not I could not I could not separate myself from her. So I didn't know what I was gonna do. We were we were in South Carolina. I was staying by myself in a little um, apartment, and um, you know I had some money from the buyout, but I did not know what I was going to do. One night, my little girl came and she said, "Dad, I want to see some ladybugs." And you know I understand pest control very well. It's been my trade for a long time, and it was it was winter out in South Carolina. I knew there were no ladybugs, you know, and just just. You know, as a response, I just said, well, why don't you pray about it? And I didn't think much about it, and I went to bed. The next morning, I woke up, and I went into her room, and she was sitting up smiling, and there were like 600 ladybugs all over her, crawling on her, crawling on the wall, crawling in the room, and she was just smiling and giggling, and I sat there in awe. In my mind, I was trying to figure out a logical way this could have happened. Maybe there was some heat unit. Maybe there was a nest in the wall or something like that. This and this had happened. And eventually, I just felt that God was answering the prayer of a little girl and letting her know that he loved her so much that he cared about something as simple as she wanted to see a little bit, some ladybugs. But he also saw a struggling father who was really struggling with his faith and really was not understanding God. And he knew and wanted me to know that he loved my daughter and that he was there. I got a hold of a guy named Greg Hunt. He's the owner of a company called Preventive Pest Control. And I didn't know Greg very well. Um, I knew who he was because he runs a fantastic business and, you know, they would employ people who would sell pest control and that was my trade. That's what I was good at. And so he paid for me to fly down to St. George, Utah from South Carolina to meet him. And our interview went about like what I'm telling you right now. <laughs> I told him everything that I'd been through. Probably not the best interview material, actually. You know, and he looked at me and he just said, wow, Cade, you're different. The next day he called me and he offered me a job, a very high paying job with free insurance and he offered to move me back to Utah. He saved my life. Not necessarily getting me out of there or getting me a job, but because I needed someone to believe in me. I felt like I was a liability at that point. I didn't know if I would go back into mania again and if I was going to lose my mind again. So we went back to Utah and I started working in his branch under his business partner who was a great guy as well and you know it did a lot of good things for the branch but I went to a very deep depression because actually after owning a business and then working for someone in the same type of business 
everything was a reminder to me of what I lost. And then one day I had one of my friends come into town that also owned a pest business and he came to visit me. And I was working for this business and he comes and talks to the owner of the branch and they're talking as owners and it was just crushing to me. And I, I finally just decide, you know, I, uh, there's no way I can um, continue this. So I told him, look, I'm just going to sell for you. I had been clean for a year. Um, but we'd still had issues, understandably, with our marriage and, and different things. And, you know, finally, I just, I was so upset at God because he had taken everything from me. And, you know, there, there's a scripture in the Bible that says, There hath no temptation taketh you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Well, I didn't think that applied to me. He'd taken everything from me. I told so many people what had happened to me and the things I had done in mania that I couldn't remember it. I disappeared off social media for three years. I lost all self-respect, self-worth, self-control, and finally I decided I'm going to do whatever drugs I want and I don't care. And guess what? It's your fault, God. That's a very dangerous thing with us addicts is we look for people to be upset at because if you're the one that caused me pain then it's not my fault and I can use whatever I want to use and if we're not conflicted when we're destroying our lives but we're putting it on other people then drugs tend to work pretty dang well and I was in a vicious cycle of heavy abuse of Adderall of marijuana and of clonopin, which is a similar drug to Xanax I got this great idea, I'm going to go with my friend, and I didn't tell him I was on drugs, and you know, I said, let's go down to Louisiana, and let's go work for the summer, and just sell a bunch of accounts, and make a bunch of money, and then out of all the wonderful ideas, let's move to Las Vegas, and start a branch. Well, I knew what I was going to do, I was going to make a lot of money, go to Las Vegas, I was going to get a divorce. I was going to do as many drugs as I could. I was going to sleep with as many women as I could, but I was going to be a good dad. You know, I was going to be a good dad. So we went and sold in Louisiana and we, we sold well, but I started using Adderall again because I just, I, I was convinced I needed it in order to work, in order to talk to people, um, in order to be happy. And then I started using Vivance, which is a similar form of it. And I started to abuse it again, and I was hiding it from her. And um, so eventually, we went down to uh, Las Vegas, me and my business partner, one of my best friends, because we needed to test and take the state tests in order to start a branch there. I took seven 70 milligram Vivans, 70 milligrams, the highest dose. I took seven at once and went into what's called meth induced psychosis. And um, told my business partner I've lost my license. I can't fly home. Um, so I'm going to have to stay another day. So he flew home and I ended up spending another $3,000 on all kinds of stuff the next day. And sobered up the next morning and was like, crap, I did it again. 
Only this time it wasn't mania. It was a horrible decision to take too many drugs. And once I did, I gave myself power to them. And from there, I was no longer in control. So I came back home and had to tell tell my family what I'd done. I went and talked with my bishop. The first counselor worked as a therapist in a rehab center called Woodlake Recovery in the outskirts of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So I checked into rehab for the third time. It's kind of funny having a guy that's a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, or, or Mormon with a bunch of Southern Baptists who a lot of people think that we're going to hell because we worship the wrong Jesus. And them thinking, man, he probably will end up in hell, but we like him. We're going we're gonna to help him right now. But I was so apathetic from such high usage of amphetamines for so long, meaning... I could not feel anything. To me, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing worse than apathy. I can deal with depression or anxiety way better. But when I just can't feel anything, that's the worst. And that's how I felt. But I met someone in there. And I had a dream in there. One night, I was asleep. And I dreamed I was supposed to be watching my little girl. And um, instead, I went with a friend that I used to go get drugs with. And the next thing I knew, I was on the top of this huge skyscraper by myself. And I looked over and there was my family on the skyscraper next to me. And I watched my little girl who at the time was mm, five years old maybe. And she was running around towards the edge. I started to scream at her for her to stop. And um, I watched her fall off. And so I, I rushed down to the bottom to try and save her, and it was too late. She wasn't mangled or disfigured, but she was dead. And she just had a little smile on her face. And I woke up just sobbing and cursing God. Is this what you're going to do? Are you going to take my daughter? Don't you dare take my little girl. She's all I have. My boy, don't you dare. And I got an answer. I'm not going to take your daughter, but if you don't grow up, and if you don't learn how to be a man, she'll fall. She's going to suffer. You as her father have more influence and impact on how she is than any other person alive. And I thought about what had happened with the ladybugs. Well, ladybugs are interesting because ladybugs are natural predators for bad bugs. And people will get them to protect their good plants. What beautiful symbolism God used. My little girl, this blossoming, beautiful little plant. All these predators, all these different things that are come to her. And he protected her with the very symbolism of protection in ladybugs. While I was there, I met the man that's probably on this earth, not probably, the man who saved my life more than any other man I know and is still my therapist to this day, Ryan Phillips. He's a few years younger than me. He's a nice old Southern Baptist boy and he's 
one of the smartest people I've ever met. And for good and bad, his brain works a lot like mine. But I, I learned very quickly I could not manipulate him. I could not control him. I could not lie to him. I could not do anything. And Ryan, you know, when, when you go into rehab, the, the, the job, and when I work with people, and I do a lot of one-on-one work with people, you know, I, I, I do a lot, whether it's through addiction, I worked with a lot of women on trauma, I worked with a lot of kids, different things. But when you're doing addiction trauma, at the beginning, you need to get people to feel because we're not used to feeling because we've been numbing. Whether you make them mad or sad or whatever, it all's good. And so all of a sudden I started to realize all this pain I had caused. I ended up getting a job out there with a wonderful company called Errol Pest Control. And the Cohen family hired me. To this day, I'm still very close with, especially with their son, Jacob's one of my best friends and gave me a great job. And it was a great way for me to start to heal. Eventually, as I was, as I was going through this, I, um, I just felt empowered one day. Um, I need to go back to Utah and start my own business. And I didn't have a ton of money, but I knew I needed to get back there. And so I, I moved back to Utah and I had maybe $6,000. I got a website. I started knocking on doors. I got some chemical and I started the foundations of what is my business today. But I was unable to stay clean. And I was still so upset with God over everything that had happened. You know, I thought at this point I was going to be riding into the sunset like most people I knew that had a business and the trajectory they were on, they're all worth multi-millions of dollars now and here am I worth hardly anything knocking doors and spraying all day so I was, I was trying my best to make things work but eventually it just became clear that uh, I needed to get a divorce I don't want to say very much, and I want people to give my ex-wife her privacy, and I am. Um, always be very sorry. For what I put her through. But I knew I couldn't stay clean. I did not want to hurt her anymore. So we, we agreed a divorce was the best. I also wanted my kids to grow up seeing two people in love because children tend to emulate what they see in the home. And, you know, I think we were all terrified if I was going to make it. The day I told my little girl that I was getting divorced was the most painful moment of my life, by far. What do you say to a seven-year-old when you tell her you're moving out? And she just starts to bawl. I was in so much pain, I relapsed immediately. Got on six drugs at once. We sold our big, nice house, and I moved into a little two-bedroom apartment behind the Purple Turtle in Pleasant Grove, Utah. I gave my wife, you know, final say over things, because I... I hoped I'd be able to make it, but I didn't know. 
And um, the first month was pretty scary. You know, one night I um, was in a place I shouldn't have been. And I always thought in certain places that you were out of the reach of God. You know, my belief is that God's Spirit, the Holy Ghost, can be with us in certain measures. But, you know, if we've done certain things, it's, it's not with us all the time. But I learned that my Savior, Jesus Christ, goes everywhere. Because He came in and saved me in a situation that would have destroyed me. And I started to think, this isn't very fun being a victim. This isn't very fun blaming God. I don't like the fruits of what my life is. I'm so angry I can't enjoy anything. And I think for the first time I stopped asking, why me? And I just said, God, why? Why did this happen? Why did I go into this manic episode? Why? Just, just, I'm tired. I don't want to be angry anymore. Show me why. And from that moment on, things started to untangle for me. You see, as an addict, it's not failure. It's not when the world collapses that's the most dangerous for me. That was dangerous, but not the most. Typically, I would go back to the God of my childhood, but success was dangerous. Money gave me instant access to all sorts of pleasure. It also gave me a false security net. I could do whatever I wanted because at the end of the day I had money. And God communicated to me very clearly, if that business would have took off, if you would have had the money before you understood what you were, what you had, and how to deal with it, you would have died. Your little kids wouldn't have had a dad. And so I stepped in to save your life. And in the process, I watched you badger me and demean me and scream at me and cause all sorts of pain. And I let you do it because I love you. That's when God stopped becoming this unknowable force, this, uh, this punisher, this, this person that was perpetually disappointed, upset or mad at me. And he just became my father. He became dad because that's in reality who he is. So I started working on my recovery. I started working on my relationships. I started to get clean. You know, I've been, been single for five and a half years now, and I've been clean 95% of the time since then. But every three, four months, uh, typically, through a hard dating experience, I would relapse. But as I kept working on myself and my recovery, and I, I got back with my therapist again, Ryan, and we, we Skype every week to this day, and you know he'll be my therapist as long as I live, if he'll have me. I noticed that my relapses would get a lot shorter in duration, but they'd get a lot more painful. I could not sustain using for very long. Well, it's because I was growing. I was growing. I started to realize it was no one's fault but my, my own. I also realized that it was hurting a lot of people. Because addicts, we don't see that. We, we don't suffer more than other people. The problem is we think we do because we fixate on our pain more. Pain is relative. You really can't compare it. 
So I started to put more and more sobriety. I started to get a little more stable. You know, I was taking care of my kids. One night, though, I, towards the end of my use, I was, I was, you know, we're at my house, and there were some guys that I had over, and um, I wasn't in the right mind. My kids were there, and my daughter was still awake. I wanted to go smoke weed, and so, you know, some of them were in a hurry, and um, I told her, hey, you can look out the window. Dad's just got to go to the truck, and you're okay. And so I went to the truck and started to smoke weed, and halfway in but through I saw her and she walked outside they're like there's your daughter she's like six years old so I rushed up to her and I was like hey sweetie it's okay you, you just go inside I'll be right there and I could tell how terrified she was but I just didn't go in so we finished up and I walked inside and she looked at me tears in her eyes and said daddy my tummy hurts I said your tummy hurts because you've not been breathing you're not breathing because you're scared. Because I left you outside. I will never do that again. Ever. And I never have. It was the last time I ever brought any of that garbage around my children. And thank goodness they were so young that they don't have reverberating, lasting effects of that period of my life. So I, I ended up going to this conference uh, called the Huntington Beach Mid-Singles Conference. I just got back from the same conference a few months ago. It was a wonderful experience. But I went there, and um, as soon as I got there, marijuana is legal down there. And I was in a lot of pain from from uh, relationship and, and I decided I'm gonna take some marijuana gummies. Well, you're supposed to take one. Well, I took one and I didn't feel numb. So I took five and didn't feel numb. I ended up taking 19 of them. That's the kind of addict I am. But something happened. Instead of numbing my pain, it amplified it. And something else happened. I could not stop God from showing me how much he loved me. And it was frustrating me. I would look on a billboard and see just this beautiful sign with these words that were so precious to me that it meant something to me in my life or someone would say something and it started to become overwhelming. And I was like, God, I know you love me. I get it, please stop, please. I just don't want to feel. And I got an answer. This is not why my son died. This is not your purpose in life. I will not allow you to continue to numb out and take pleasure in drugs. If you want to, that's your choice. So I, I called one of my uh, mentors that had been helping me get clean, and uh, I told him I'd use, and I was supposed to be calling him every day. And he said, why didn't you call me? And I said, why don't you think I called you? I didn't want to talk to you because you'd tell me not to use. And he said, okay, maybe you need to get really messed up and maybe you need to drive and, and get drunk and kill a family and kill a few kids. Maybe you need to do that. And then maybe you'll grow up 
And um, when you're in prison, I'll come and see you. And then maybe I'm still willing to help you. Maybe that's what it'll take for you to stop being so selfish and become a man. And he hung up the phone. It's one of the nicest things anyone's ever said to me. Because I realized I've done that thousands of times. I've done that with my kids in the car. And really what I was saying is I don't care about you. I don't care about your kids. I don't care about my kids. And that's what every person on earth says when they get behind the wheel and they're intoxicated or on drugs. They don't care. And that made me disgusted. And I knew people that had done that and killed people. And I thought, why did I not kill people? Well, I have some of the answer now because I know what God has kept me here on earth to do, but I did not want to test that anymore.